Good morning, everyone. Welcome to Spin Class. We're talking politics. I'm your host, Michael Fregan, here on the Nachum Siegel Network. Also coming to you on our Rucheva Israel National News slash radio. Welcome to the year-end 2015 wrap-up edition. And what a political year it has been. So, so many surprises. I think we started the year with a whole bunch of preconceived notions about how things were going to go. And everything has essentially been upended. This was going to be the year. This was going to be the the cycle where the Republican Party came to grips with some of its internal divisions, where it came together and had a serious nomination contest amongst those that could unite the party and reach out beyond. And instead, we've had the total opposite. We had the strong opposite of candidates who are running hard to the right, who are running hard away from any hint, any scintilla of compromise, who have really gone to take the party in a very, very different direction. If you recall in the aftermath of Mitt Romney's loss in 2012, where many Republicans felt that President Obama was incredibly vulnerable, that Mitt Romney should have won. He had all he had the resume. He had the political chops. He had the campaign to pull off a victory. Well, in fact, he didn't win. And a lot of that had to do with GOP's inability to reach towards the center, to reach towards minorities and to really reach beyond the base. Well, it was supposed to be different. This cycle, it's supposed to be. But politics has a way of taking on a life of its own. And let's just say it hasn't been. It has not been at all as anybody would have predicted. And it's not just it's not just Donald Trump, folks. I know that everybody wants to say, well, he was the wild card. He really uh, turned everything on its head. That is true. That is true. But one thing that can certainly be said of the Republicans, more so than the Democrats, is that the base, if you will, the grassroots the angry people out there who feel that they are not getting what they feel that they should out of politics, those people are running the show right now. Those people are driving the agenda. And we'll see. Nobody has voted yet, which, of course, makes it all the more uh, all the more interesting as far as politics and what makes the United States really an anomaly amongst the world is that we have this incredibly long, incredibly long, and I'd say to a certain degree painful election cycle where two years in advance or even more people are already running for president and you have the perpetual running of congress every congress member is when a house member gets elected they say on the day after they get elected they're already running for their next term which is why you see a lot of retirements coming on so we're going to go through kind of uh, pick the winners and losers some of them are obvious uh, some of them i've gone you know kind of gone through, which I think are a little bit less obvious, but there are so many uh, winners and losers out there, some of them offered by various friends, there would be a text during the week and others. So, um, you know, 2015 is a very, 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 very strange political year in my mind where a lot of things have been upended. And it's not just, not just here in the United States, not just national politics, uh, even local politics, even state politics. We've seen some seismic changes here in New York State. Uh, we've seen 
certainly some changes up to our north in Canada. We've seen some changes in Israel. We've seen changes elsewhere, all of which we're going to try and condense into 30 minutes or less uh, if we can here on this show. So welcome again. Last show of 2015. Uh, of course, for the listeners out there, that's, you know, New Year's is kind of an artificial barrier. You know, a lot of people I know are are working this week, so they don't really uh, they're not necessarily taking what the rest of the world has uh, offers, which is that week between at the end of the year, which is kind of that dead week. But in politics, but in politics, my friends, this is a dead week. Go to D.C., go to Albany, go to any place where. Uh, politics is uh, or government exists, and there is nothing, nothing going on. So, well, I wanted to just start because I think it's important. A lot of people don't are looking at the presidential race. You know, first and foremost, in our mind, we're going to 2016 presidential race. November is looming. Of course, there's also Senate races, the battle for control of the Senate and the House, although less necessarily in doubt with regard to control. But every House seat is up for grabs. So certainly uh, something to think about. But the presidential primary uh, calendar is very interesting. And the smart campaigns that are out there are certainly going to looking at this calendar and looking at how they can use the calendar to their advantage. So let's just kind of run through it really quickly. As everybody knows, Iowa has the first caucus, February 1st. That is the first test, the first real test. And... You know, it's interesting Donald Trump is already playing down the importance of Iowa. Of course, he says he still wants to win Iowa, and that is uh, on February 1st. Now, remember what a caucus is. I think every, it's instructive to be reminded. We, uh, many of us, see out there and we look and we say, okay, you know, you have a primary, you go out to vote, and that's, that's how it goes. However, that's not how a caucus works. It's everybody has to gather together at the same time, in, uh, usually in the evening, at a specific location in your precinct, and people have to come together, and they actually have to be public about who they are supporting. So it's a very interesting thing. It's not a secret ballot when you go to a caucus. They do that, and a lot of, and you have multiple ballots until the a winner of the caucus. If nobody gets a majority, then the winner you go to a multiple ballot, and the bottom people drop out. So there's a possibility for those that go in initially supporting lesser-known candidates or less candidates with less of a chance, those people are drafted into other campaigns, into supporting other campaigns. And that's so a lot of people we might eventually vote for a winner who is not necessarily their first choice when they walk in there. That's the difference in a caucus. It's very different. And Iowa relies tremendously on organization, tremendously on the fact that you have to be ready. You have to have your people. You have to have your leadership. You have to have your resources ready in so many different precinct locations throughout the state. It is, of course, very, very different. And you know, many commentators often remark on how even on the Democrat, the Democratic side that Iowa is far too liberal for the Democrats and on the Republican side that is far too conservative for the rest of the country. But our tradition is that Iowa leads the way. People are very informed, very knowledgeable of politics, and they have this expectation that they are going to set that bar. Now, of course, if you look at recent uh, winners, there is no president, Rick Santorum. There is no president, Mike Huckabee. The people who have won Iowa, uh, Howard Dean uh, didn't actually win Iowa. 
uh, in the end, although he was expected to. That was uh, if you want to go back even further. But many people win Iowa do not go on to win the presidency. Let's now move to Tuesday, February 9th, which is New Hampshire. Uh, actually, Donald Trump the other day said it was February 8th. I don't know. He'll probably say that he was trying to get the crowd to correct him. But I think indicative of his uh, lack of attention to specifics, the campaign doesn't often want to get into specifics. So specific dates don't matter to him as much. Uh, maybe he'll show, have his people show up a day early and they'll stay a day late. Uh, not that important as long as they love him. That's February 9th, Tuesday, February 9th uh, in New Hampshire. That is the first in the nation primary. Primary, I think there is a tradition for one village up in the north of New Hampshire called Dixville Notch. They vote at midnight, but most of the other people, I think there are like 12 people there. Those are the first returns. And the rest of the state votes the whole day. Then you go into the South Carolina Republican primary, and that is going to uh, – oh, what's the date on that? That's funny. Uh, not uh, – okay, sorry. Saturday, February 20th, Nevada Democratic Caucuses. Okay, those are coming up at a very important uh, date. And then February 23rd is the Nevada Republican uh, Caucuses. So – and you'll see that a lot where different uh, different states have different – dates between Democrats and Republicans. The South Carolina Democratic primary is on Saturday, February 27th. Certainly noteworthy for many of our reader, uh, many of our listeners out there that the that the a lot of these caucuses, a lot of these primaries dates are taking place on Saturdays. There's a big move out there, folks, for voting to be moved to the weekend instead of Tuesday. Uh, that's uh, certainly to encourage turnout to make that. So those that are Shomer Shabbos out there certainly need to keep in mind. It's less important necessarily on a in the winter because you know perhaps you'll be able to vote after Shabbos ends. But definitely if many states go towards that, uh, something to keep in mind to go ahead. And you know, I've had that in certain elections where they're holding holidays, Sukkot, Rosh Hashanah, and uh, or primaries on Shavuos, and you'd have to go ahead and figure out how to vote absentee. So that's a big thing. Uh, Avrami, if you can find out the South Carolina Republican primary, for some reason not showing up on my primary calendar right now, uh, let's, let's see if we can get that. But then, interestingly, those are like the first four that you have. Iowa, New Hampshire, uh, Nevada, South Carolina. Those are the ones that are go. And then you get into what's known as the Super Tuesday and Super Duper Tuesday. And those go uh, then go ahead to uh, really where the big delegates, where the actual numbers uh, come up. And it's a big um, – uh, those are the, when you have big numbers, particularly March 1st where you have Alabama, Arkansas – uh, Colorado, Georgia, Massachusetts, Minnesota, Oklahoma, Tennessee, Texas, Vermont, and Virginia, which is uh, just an absolute treasure trove of uh, an absolute treasure trove of delegates. Then uh, it's going to be very difficult for those candidates without significant and robust organizations who get really who have really great name recognition. Uh, in order to compete in those primaries to get those to get have the resources the bill and the ability to go ahead and do that then Saturday March the 5th kind of immediately after that Kansas Kentucky Louisiana Maine and Nebraska has their Democratic caucuses and uh, the uh, then the next day Maine Democratic caucuses and uh, then the March 8th Hawaii Michigan Mississippi 
Okay, Romy, do we have that date yet? Sorry for the specific date for South Carolina. Executive assistant of Romy uh, joining us here. It is actually Saturday, February 20th. That's what I thought I had for some reason, uh, what I was looking at. So great. So, so as you see, what we're looking at right now is that the Republican primary, the Democratic primary is a week later on the 27th, but the Republican primary of South Carolina is potentially shaving up as a key, as the key test. So if you look at Iowa, Iowa being like the Evangelical Caucus, where we've talked about this before, where the more right-wing candidates uh, are, are competing, uh, little those that appeal to the, to the farther to the right of the Republican Party, and uh, usually on the Democratic side, it's to the left. Uh, moderates don't always do well in Iowa. New Hampshire, entirely different. Independents can vote. And then you go to South Carolina, which is in the South, the South. Strongly Republican on the Democratic side, very, very significant population of African-American voters, uh, a little more necessarily representative of a, of a broader electorate uh, that you can find throughout the country. South Carolina is going to be a huge test. One thing that would be interesting is that now Lindsey Graham has dropped out. Whether Lindsey Graham has the ability to influence, based on who he endorses, the South Carolina Republican Party. A lot of people are expecting right now that Ted Cruz is going to win Iowa and then focus his resources not on New Hampshire, where he's uh, less moderate, that he's going to go and focus his resources on winning South Carolina. That will carry him over into that Super Tuesday, that March 1st, uh, what's known as the SEC primary primarily for the, uh, with regard to the SEC conference, football conference, uh, that uh, those schools and those states and those schools that can carry him into that. So that's going to be very, very interesting. Lindsey Graham is unlikely to endorse Ted Cruz. Uh, Ted Cruz does not really get along with pretty much any of his colleagues in the Senate, uh, particularly Lindsey Graham's best friend, John McCain. So we'll have to see how that shakes out and whether the more, uh, you know, South Carolina being a more conservative state, certainly on the Republican side, whether... Lindsey Graham has the ability to kind of turn uh, the electorate in a different direction. So now we go into March 15th, which is another big delegate uh, hall. Florida, uh, Illinois, Missouri, North Carolina, and Ohio. Now, of course, Ohio and Florida stick out because those every year in the general election are the big states, the big swing states where Republican or Democrats can win. Um, they're also known for being, <coughs> excuse me, relatively moderate politically. So we'll have to see where, you know, how those can come out on that March 15th, a big delegate hall there. You go into March 22nd, uh, Arizona, Idaho Democratic caucuses, Utah Democratic caucuses, Utah Republican caucuses. Again, these are caucuses. The Utah uh, has a very, has a different system altogether, uh, whereby it's like delegates who can vote. Then you go to Saturday, March 26th, Alaska Democratic Caucuses, Hawaii Democratic Caucuses, Washington State Democratic Caucuses, and then into April. April gets you Wisconsin on April 5th, then the Colorado Republican Convention, April 9th, Wyoming Democratic Caucuses, and then April 19th, New York. We're gonna, we talked about that in the, past, uh, in the past weeks, where New York potentially, if there is a big uh, a, a wide open situation. New York is winner take all, 95 delegates, and potentially you, New York could matter in this type of bifurcated, in this type of messy Republican field. I know I'm not talking about the Democrats so much, and we're going to talk about that uh, in, in, in the closing, in the next segment, which I'm going to get to the show, which would be our winners and losers. But it really just seems that the Democrats have a kind of straightforward 
strategy, assuming Martin O'Malley is not a factor, which he really hasn't been, uh, what is going to happen within the Democratic side? Well, you know, it's, it's conventional wisdom, and conventional wisdom is not always right, but in this case, it's going to be very difficult to surmount. Okay, let's say Bernie Sanders does win Iowa. Let's say Bernie Sanders then does win New Hampshire, uh, and, and it's possible he could win both. What does he then do in the rest of the country? It's very difficult to see, given the fact the focus that he has in those first two states, that his momentum will take him over the institutional support that Hillary Clinton has everywhere in, in almost every state throughout the party. Now, it remains to be seen, but of course, that's a two-way race. It's very difficult to see how that doesn't that dynamic is going to change substantially okay we're in the end of april right now and this is a really long season if you think about it some of these guys have been running for more than two years uh, running for president even unannounced for that matter okay april 26 connecticut delaware maryland pennsylvania rhode island then in may go to may 3rd indiana tuesday may 10th nebraska republicans uh then uh as well as west virginia may 17th kentucky democrats oregon uh, Washington State Republicans, uh, June, California, Montana, New Jersey, New Mexico, and North Dakota Democratic caucuses as well as South Dakota. And then in Ju- Tuesday, June 14th, the Washington, D.C. Democrats, June 28th has the, fu- has the Utah actual awarding of delegates. And that's, uh, that's kind of it. That's really where we go to – that's really how it shapes up. I doubt – I mean we've really never had a situation where the, the – though the Obama-Clinton primary race back in, uh, back in 2008 kind of went the distance, if you will, numerically it was difficult at a certain point for Hillary to win. Uh, although technically she could win, it was very difficult for that to happen. And what Obama did very successfully was focused on many, many of these smaller states, uh, many of these caucuses where Hillary's campaign, which was the inevitable campaign, kind of uh, took for granted. He picked up all delegates, and it really became about the delegate counts. Now, right now, there's 12 candidates in the Republican side. It's wide open. It's just incredible how many permutations, how many different things you can think of that might happen in Iowa and New Hampshire that might go ahead and change the uh, – that could go ahead and change all the dynamics, every, all, everything that we're thinking about uh, as far as what can happen. But there's just so much that we could go, uh, that we could go ahead and uh, tackle. But let's get into what I like to t- do is kind of the winners and losers of the year because – it's really going to be a little segue from here because the big winners, as I said, are the anti-establishment Republicans. Uh, there's no question that even as we go on, even let's say Ben Carson, who has faded from the race, is raising tons of money, is pulling ahead of establishment Republican establishment Republicans, and he is go, he is there taking. Uh, let's just say, let's just posit that he has no chance to win, uh, that he's not going to win, that voters have lost a lot of faith in him. And if he doesn't win Iowa or do very, very well in Iowa, it's his campaign is essentially doesn't really have much of a rationale for moving forward. But he has support, and he has more support than Jeb Bush. He has more support than Chris Christie. He has more support in many cases than Marco Rubio, the establishment Republicans, than John Kasich, people who have held office, people who have made monumental decisions, who have people with a track record. And 
I don't want not to pick on Ben Carson specifically, but it is incredible. If the big winners right now is the anti-establishment wing of the Republican Party, I think Ben Carson is emblematic of that. A man who, who has not really met, mastered the intricacies of policy. Uh, he's attempted to a little bit, but he really hasn't gotten there in the sense that you would in the past think of him as a serious candidate as opposed to a fringe candidate for office. But Ben Carson sits up there still, still raising a lot of money. Uh, first and foremost, obviously, Donald Trump. And it's incredible as a winner where Donald Trump has upended politics almost entirely. And I think one clip that was offered by, uh, by my friend Yaakov Shapiro uh, is, of course, we've all heard it, but I think it kind of drives the point home. Let's go with that clip. I spent no money, and I'm number one. Others spent, others spent, they will have spent hundreds of millions of dollars, and they're not even in the race. That's what we need for our country. Okay, so it's true. There are many things out there about Donald Trump that you could go ahead and fact check and say, okay, maybe it's not true. Ah, he's stretching the truth. This is actually true. The guy has literally spent no money. He has, and he is polling ahead of everybody else, and he's polling, and others have spent millions. Not just Jeb Bush, others have spent millions and they trail way behind. Now, part is the outsized amount of coverage that he has. But if politics is moving into a new age, folks, everybody has to take note. Donald Trump has spent no money. He essentially really has no campaign in a traditional sense. He's, he, it's rally. It's almost, like a, it's almost like a rock tour that he goes from city to city. And he shows up and he has show, draws these huge crowds and people love him. And they love the show. They love the entertainment. Well, I not to endorse that because I think we should have a more serious view of politics. That is an incredible, incredible thing. Uh, now, let's just t- take Ted Cruz for a second because I think he certainly goes into the winner's category. And not to, you know, not to predict anything that's actually going to happen. But he is right now, in fact, a winner. Uh, in the fact that everybody in Washington hates Ted Cruz. I think, yeah, and a lot of people there, they can't stand the guy. Nobody wants to work with him. None of his colleagues like him. He is, you know, the kind of guy who will grandstand till no end. I, uh, some ways, the Republican version of Chuck Schumer, um, but Chuck Schumer actually works with his colleagues and is a consummate insider. But Ted Cruz is a grandstander on, on a lot of issues, shut down the government. Uh, he, he, leads, he led the Tea Party revolt against John Boehner. We'll get to that soon. And yet he has a strategy to win the primary. And right now it's looking – the guy raised $20 million in the fourth quarter. And he already had more cash on hand than any other candidate. So it's incredible right now what Ted, is do, what Ted Cruz is doing. And it was summed up very succinctly by Nick Muzzin in Mishpacha, in Mishpacha magazine is kind of Washington. Everybody hates Washington around the country. Washington hates hits. Sorry, excuse me. Everybody hates Washington around the country. Washington hates Ted Cruz. Does everybody see the logic in that? Why Ted Cruz is winning? It's very, very simple. It's pretty incredible when you think about it. So that's uh, certainly if you look at the strategy, it has been a strategy that has worked so far for them. Okay, let's also, I want to take a minor winner as far as what right now, uh, what I could see, is Chris Christie, I'm going to put in the somewhat winner's category, okay? Chris Christie had, was, was political roadkill. He was political roadkill. There's no question, done, you want to call it scandal, you want to call being overshadowed by Donald Trump, you want to just be called the, the general 
problem with New Jersey and New Jersey having a lot of problems. Now people are looking at at Chris Christie and thinking that he could be the winner in New Hampshire if the – if the establishment coalesces around somebody, Chris Christie could be that guy, which is incredible because everybody had said, okay, well, Jeb Bush is eating his lunch and potentially Marco Rubio is going to eat his, eat his lunch. Chris Christie has a chance. And the fact that he has a chance right now, the fact that he's positioned to have a chance to go ahead and be a serious player to win New Hampshire and potentially do well down the road is a testament, I think, to a lot of political stamina and other macro forces. Now, of course, we have to acknowledge uh, on the Democrat on the Democratic side, there was no question that Hillary Clinton is a big winner right now. Big winner. She has. There was a time. There was momentum where Bernie Sanders was surging, was uh, certainly going ahead and capturing the imagination of many on the left that we were going to actually have a socialist in the White House. Incredible. Might be a great opportunity for the country. She was mired in scandal. The email scandal. The uh, the conflicts over the Clinton Foundation scandal. Well, nobody took the fight to her. Thankfully for her, uh, Bernie Sanders wanted to be high-minded and not engage in attacks. Well, that's what happened. And no question that Hillary Clinton now ends 2000. We're not talking about 2016, but ending of 2015 as we close the year, Hillary Clinton is a winner. Okay. Now, away from the presidential race for a second, Paul Ryan, big winner, huge winner. If you look at to contrast him with the big loser, I think is John Boehner. John Boehner, clearly his dream job was being Speaker of the House. He actually was groomed to be Speaker of the House, a compromise uh, guy, a guy who could work with his colleagues, could bring coalitions together, could bring people together. John Boehner uh, tossed out because he couldn't bring his caucus together. Paul Ryan decides, I'm well, I'm only going to do it if you guys toe the line, if, if you if all the Republicans come together and consensus. And so far, he's managed to do that. He shoved a, a very difficult budget compromise, budget deal down the throats of many Republicans who found it distasteful. He did it. And that's actually the way the speaker should go ahead and operate, has to go ahead and make deals and cut deals. That's just how politics works, folks. Uh, it might be distasteful, but it's happening. Okay, let's just talk about, I want to talk about Israel for a second. Bibi, winner and loser. Bibi is the only candidate, the only candidate for leader of Israel. That's really what it comes down to. He might have credibly, I think the speech was an incredible miscalculation, unless you're really Machiavellian about it, and this is somehow he wanted to kind of blow up whatever, I, I don't know, his relationship with the United States for whatever political reason. But I, that, that just doesn't make any sense to me. Bibi, this way, it was incredibly bad. It led, to, I think, in many ways, presaged the uh, passage of the Iran deal. But again, he got reelected. He is he has in line to be the longest serving prime minister of Israel, and it's uh, it's an incredible in I was consecutive serving prime minister of Israel. It's incredible politically how much he dominates. The left was united uh, in Israel, but they still couldn't topple him, despite polls that said that they would. The anyone but Bibi, it just didn't happen. Uh, another big political loser, Kerry in American foreign policy. Everybody sees what's going on, ISIS turmoil, and I don't want to blame it all on Obama because it's you know there's enough to blame on Obama, but if we close 2015, despite the crowning achievement, which is now being undone, you know, as you peel back layer by layer by Iran and their misdeeds, but the Kerry foreign policy in Syria, in Iraq, in Afghanistan, uh, pretty much everywhere, uh, certainly, I'm sorry, Ukraine, Russia, is just uh, emblematic of an incredibly uh, bad, uh, uh, incredible misunderstanding on the part of the Obama administration. Okay, big, big loser. 
the CNBC uh, crew that hosted that debate, that debate was atrocious. Uh, it's it's just beyond uh, when you think about it how bad that debate was compared certainly to the colleagues uh, that have hosted pretty good and entertaining debates. I mean, politics has been very entertaining this year, very entertaining. Okay, and I want to just uh, also mention I've done this before, and I, I don't want to pick on him necessarily, but Big Bill De Blasio really ends 2015 as a huge loser. Uh, it's not just the city. You want to argue about stats. You want to argue, argue about all kinds of things. But uh, Bill de Blasio uh, had a, you know, what if you had a presidential conclave on income inequality and nobody showed up? Could you still call it that? Well, it's a good thing they canceled it. Secondly, his inability to figure out whether he was going to endorse Hillary Clinton, uh, despite being a former Clinton staffer. Uh, boo. I mean, terrible. I just it's hard to believe the political malpractice that's going around going on around Bill de Blasio these days. Uh, he's not getting good advice. He's not speaking to to good people. And no question about that. And I want to then award our biggest winner. Um, sorry to the biggest winner. The biggest winner would be David Greenfield, the councilman for two years. He worked on getting security for non-public schools, which seemed like a, a, a no brainer. You would think that yeshivas need a little bit of extra security for two years. He worked on this bill. He went ahead, he passed it, he got it done. And yeshivas now have security in, or will have security guards paid for by the state. Nothing wrong with that. Totally appropriate. And then the biggest loser award goes to New York state taxpayers, New York state taxpayers, have, as we've discussed, Sheldon Silver, Dean Skelos, both convicted of corruption, of selling their office. Uh, whatever you think about it, they were convicted. It's not my opinion. It's actually a fact. And taxpayers have to pay their pensions in perpetuity for $100,000 each per year, every year. New York State taxpayers, you are the biggest losers here in the fact that you have to go ahead of corrupt politicians and pay their, and pay their salary, essentially, $100,000 a year for each of them, even while they sit potentially in jail. I hope it doesn't happen. They're both uh, people that I have a relationship with that they don't, you know, that somehow their convictions, uh, uh, you know, something happens that's good for them, but you're still going to have to pay their their pensions for uh, for their criminal acts. And it's shameful no matter who they are. That's it for 2015. That's the wrap up. We look forward to 2016. It's going to be an exciting year here on Spin Class on the Nachum Siegel Network. Stay tuned for Jew in the City Speaks with Allison Josephs. Mm -hmm.